Hi, this is Mandy Thomas. And I'm Kagan Moore, and this is The Fourth Degree. A podcast from WWL-TV in New Orleans, where we talk to people in the news about the news. I'm Mandy. I'm the social media editor here at WWL-TV. I'm Kagan. I produce a local lifestyle and entertainment talk show called The 504. And this podcast uh, kind of came about because we wanted to talk to people in the business, behind the scenes, and in front of the camera about what it's like to bring these stories to our community here in New Orleans and the greater New Orleans area. Yeah, we just felt like these reporters had so much more than just a minute and 30 package that they wanted to share on air, that there's uh, stories behind the stories, so to speak. Doug Mouton is the sports director here at WWL Television, um, and you actually began your career as a sports intern. Yes. And so now you're sports director at WWL TV. Um, the promotion was in 20... 20, yeah, 20, 2012. 2012. 2012. So was that kind of like a full circle moment for you when, yeah. when all of that happened? Yeah, it was. It, look, I've had one of these kind of goofy careers in the sense that I started in sports and then I did news for a while, then I went back to sports. I think I jumped back like five times, just back and forth, just because depending on the job and where we were in life. And yeah, look, when Jim Henderson uh, decided he didn't want to be the sports director anymore daily, it, it was sort of the dream. If you had asked me when I interned, what's the single best job in America. I never wanted to move to New York. I had chances to go to Chicago or Atlanta. I never really wanted that. Like if you would ask me 30 years ago, I would have said, you know what, I'd like to be a sports director in New Orleans and I'd like to do it at Channel 4 where the resources are the best. So yeah, full circle, sort of the dream job of when I started 30 years ago, all of that. So I applied when Jim left, had no chance for the job and then it just worked out lucky. Yeah, that's really cool because you you were you were North Shore bureau chief mm-hmm. uh, whenever you got here, and then you made it over to the sports world. So for maybe people watching at home, was that like a weird maybe thing for them to kind of see? Maybe not understanding your background and, and actually how you started. Yeah, I got some of that. I, I not a ton. I mean, I d- had done mostly sports to be honest with you. When I was a North Shore bureau person, I, that was the job that I was trying to pretend like I knew what I was doing, and it took a while to figure that one out. I'd never been a news reporter before, so I had done sports for 15 years, so it felt natural, and the way it worked out was just, like I said, it was just lucky for me, was that Scott Cody, who was the weekend sports guy, moved over to sales, so Scott had quit in November, and then I think Jim caught him a little little bit by surprise when he decided to retire in February, so all of a sudden, they're down to one sports guy. They needed somebody, even in the short term, just to fill in. So they, I guess they figured I wouldn't embarrass them on TV. So they asked me to fill in right off the bat. And at that point, it immediately felt natural. And like I said, at the beginning, I had no chance. It just, things just, like a whole series of goofy events happened in a row that made it possible. And then it worked out. It was just lucky. I really want to know what South Dakota was like. South Dakota was the first job. And look, I grew up in New Orleans East. And Neat. My wife grew up in Metairie. We met at UNO, and we we got married after I'd been in South Dakota for six months. But my first winter there was her first winter there, and uh, we had never seen snow. We went to South Dakota with blue jean jackets, which is kind of what you needed in the late 80s in New Orleans. So we bought everything there. 
Um, and look, it was beautiful. It was, it was an amazing place. There was mountains. I mean, if you're from Louisiana, you've never seen a mountain. These were like real mountains. So we went mountain climbing and we cross country skied. We did these things I'd never heard of. And, and it was an amazing three years. Now, the way TV works, it's small market TV, so you make no money. And so you know, we're living below the poverty line, and we were happy, and I was happy to have that job. But once I had been there for three years and it was time to move on, we moved on. But I love my time in South Dakota. A few years ago, we brought our kids back to show them where we lived. Um, this was after Katrina, and, uh, and my kids loved it. They saw mountains and Mount Rushmore and, you know, all that stuff. And it's just am- it's an amazing place. If you ever have a chance to go on a vacation, go to Rapid City, South Dakota, and you'll see stuff you've never seen before if you're from here. You were doing sports up there, or you were doing news? Yeah, I went. I went to do sports. I I interned at Channel Six, and it was actually Buddy Deliberto who made the call for me to to South Dakota to do sports. And actually, when I got there, the sports director said, and I didn't know Buddy had called on my behalf. He kind of did that because that's who he was. And the sports director said, "I got a call from Buddy Deliberto about you." And I said, "Oh, really?" He said. He said, I could only understand about half of it, but the half that I could understand sounded really good. And I said, well, yes, you definitely talked to Buddy. Oh, my God, that's funny. In the amount of time that you've been sports uh, director here at WWL-TV, you've been honored um, with some pretty big awards, and one of them was Sportscaster of the Year recently. So what was, what was that feeling like, just kind of, you know, having people in the industry kind of look up to you and, and, and give you that award. Yeah, that's that's a nice one. Um, and th- I just got that a, a couple of months ago. And, uh, yeah, it, it's voted on by sportscasters. They give a sportscaster and a sports writer in all 50 states, and they've done it for 50 years. Jim Henderson won 14 of them. Wow. So, yeah, so this was my second one. And to win, yeah, to win that one is is really special. It's nice. I feel very lucky to have this job. So whenever I get something like that, it's it's a super nice bonus. And Ross Dellinger from The Advocate, which is our partner newspaper, got the sports writer side. And he's a young guy, and it's his first time. I think he's one of the like real up-and-coming writers. So actually, it was nice to win it with Ross because I, I, I have enormous respect for what he does. So before kind of um, going into broadcast or, th- or thinking about going into broadcast, were there any kind of jobs that you held as like a teenager or was there anything like you were thinking about doing before then? Yeah, you know, I worked in the plaza in New Orleans East, oh. which <laughs> you'd have to be probably plus 35 to know it. But he it, it was the, uh, the shopping mall. I was in the, the work there for eight years. There were two different record stores that I worked at. Record stores were these things that used to exist a long time ago where they sold like recorded music. Yes. You know they yes. needed a record they don't have the, yeah now they're only like specialty shops back then every mall would have two or three record stores right. very trendy now yeah yeah only it super is. right now 98 percent of music is probably more than that is bought online but yeah back then if you wanted a record you'd go to the record store anyway i worked at tape city usa which was a new orleans owned company it was owned by the ballard family which is now the guy who was my boss's boss his sons run like PJ's Coffee. It's still a local company. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he ran Tape City USO. He sold stereo equipment, all that. That kind of went under while I was there. And I moved to a n- different record store called Record Bar. So actually, I still have a lot of people who Tape know City me. Tape City and Record Bar. T- Tape, City, Tape City and Record Bar. Yeah. Record <laughs> Bar was a North Carolina company. And I was there for seven years. They had a location in the plaza. And then when the Esplanade opened in yeah. Kenner, we had a store there too um, for as long as record stores were around. And then. 
I never necessarily wanted to do that for a living. That was sort of my college, my high school college job. Um, I was in psychology at UNO for my first three and a half years. And then literally, I when I made the decision that I didn't want to be a psychologist, you know, you always have those high school tests where they say, do what you want to do, right? Yeah. And I was walking across UNO's campus, and it was like one of these light bulb days. And I said, what do I like to do? And I said, all right, I, what I really like to do is go to ball games. How can I figure out how to make a living by going to ball games? And literally, I came up with like four or five things I imagine. I could work for a team or you can, you know, be an umpire. Like I, and one of them was you, <laughs> I could be a coach. <laughs> I couldn't be a player. I just didn't have that kind of ability. But I loved playing when I was a kid. But and one of them came to, to cover it. And I always sort of had a fascination with, TV announcers. So at, at that moment, I said, and I kept walking, and I went and changed my major, and I've done it. <laughs> that was thirty something years ago, and and it was it was the smart move. So like when they tell you, like figure out what you want to do and figure out how to make a living doing it, like it's good advice. Right. And the reason why I asked is because I googled you before we sat down today because that's what millennials do, right? Sure. When we want to learn more about somebody or find some like hidden jewels or treasures. Well, there's multiple Doug Moutons, Well, too. that's what I wanted to yes. bring up. So there's so many Doug Moutons. Oh, there's multiple Doug there's Moutons. There's so many. So I went on LinkedIn and I'm like, well, let me go to Doug's LinkedIn page and kind of see, you know, some of his background. <laughs> and it wasn't me. And it wasn't you. No, right. It was Douglas Mouton. So he was a general manager at Microsoft. Oh, yeah. I don't think I know that Douglas Mouton. There was another Douglas Mouton who is a safety coordination at a construction company. Uh-huh. There was one who's a general manager of a Mexican restaurant. Wow. Somebody was an ice road trucker. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> that one is not me. <laughs> so I'm just like, what are the odds of so many Douglas Moutons and then like them having so such wildly different yeah. positions, but it feels like they're all in some sort of like supervisory role. So and I don't it- know if that's like... It goes with the name. Douglas Mouton is. I guess they get aggravated at me, too, because when you Google, you get, like, a bunch of my stories. They're like, this guy's got to get off the Google so I can get me, so it can be me on there. Right. Ice Road Trucker. Right. And Douglas Mouton, Ice Road Trucker. Don't know who this sportscaster is. I'm trying to get on Andy. Let's be honest. There's only one. Oh, jeez. Doug Mouton. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you have such a huge personality. You really do. I don't know if people understand or really get the full effect through their TV screens about how much excitement and like energy and enthusiasm you have for really everything. I was going to say sports, but it's not even Oh, limited. everything. Yeah. When I first started working at WWL-TV, my manager leaned to me and he said, there's two people in the newsroom who are really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Sheba Turk and Doug and we, and we were together today on the morning show. How did they go? Oh, just look, she was amazing. It was <laughs> it was fun and ridiculous, and I didn't know where anything went. And you know, like you don't know what camera you look. It's a whole new ball game, right? And so I'm doing it this week. Hopefully, it'll be better tomorrow. <laughs> And so, uh, so many on. of the cameras are robotic now. So many. Are. How is that? Right. For so you? you're not even looking at the humans. You're just you just have to sort of know where to go. Look on a nightly basis, in a regular sports cast. You know you get rhythms and you know where things go. You just any job is like that. You just get no matter how complicated something might seem. If you do the same thing every day, yeah. it becomes uncomplicated at least to you. So to me, it's super simple. But then you step into a, something like the morning show <laughs> where everything's different. Um, and all the people on the morning show have been doing it so long. So it's so easy for them. And I'm tapping Sally in. Where am I going now? Like I'm constantly asking her, what's this? <laughs> what, you know, what these things mean. Right. Anyway. Right. 
rundown commands and the all rundown things, commands. Right? Yeah. Yes. Well, and there's like 38 positions that they put those guys in on the morning show: mm-hmm. like the brick monitor and the main pod on alt pod. Where is the stone monitor? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got lost oh. looking for the stone monitor, but that's what it's called. Right. The stone monitor. I don't think I'm familiar with that position. <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this conversation is getting a little inside baseball. Sure. Yes. I'm sorry. It no. Is. No. No. It's fine. It's fun. But um, we do have other serious questions. We do. <laughs> we do. But also, too, the reason why I kind of brought up your personality is because I also Facebooked you. Because, again, millennial. Uh-huh. And your picture is a picture of three children. Yeah. And you're in the middle. My little sister sent me that picture. And it looks like you guys are, like, screaming. But your mouth yeah. is open the wide. I, I, don't, I don't know so why. So is this something that you've always... No, yeah, it just sort of fit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I was the third kid out of four. And I think four was the number of kids that people in my generation, or at least, you know, for the children's standpoint. Like, I guess parents back then, four kids was like a super normal number of kids. Like, I can't tell you how many of my friends came from one of four. And I was the third of four. You know, I wasn't the baby, and I wasn't the first two. So I think the third one is the one that has to yell more, or else you're just not going to be seen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the first one and the last one can be calm, because they're going to get a ton of attention. Right. Two and three got to work for them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you've carried that throughout. I, yes. I, I think I have. I really do. <laughs> I have some kind of uh, nerdy kind of philosophical questions. Uh-huh. Ooh. Bear with me. Okay, so last week, Amazon announced that they had made a $50 million deal with the NFL. Uh-huh. They're going to start streaming Thursday Night Football on Amazon. Right. Twitter did something like this last year. Right. They got a big, big money deal to stream these Thursday Night Football games. Right. And I think that... Some of it is to try to reach those audiences sure. who are cutting the cord or sure. or or just experiencing football for the first time. But how much of it do we think is maybe there's a lack of interest in football? Do we feel like its popularity is going away? It, it certainly seems to have hit a peak. And look, I believe this sincerely. In the last 10 years, a significant chunk of the NFL's success is fantasy football-based. Mm-hmm. As as new people got into fantasy football, I think it drove their audiences to levels of viewership that they couldn't maintain when people got tired of it, right? First of all, from the NFL standpoint, I think it absolutely makes sense to put the streaming out. To me, wh- how it works is that if you had to be someplace, you could still watch the game. It's funny because in this age, or maybe five years ago, like the thing was to buy these massive TV screens, and now people are watching games on a four-inch screen, which is not the ideal way to watch a game. But I think it's more for people who are out. I do think it's the NFL trying to get all the audience they can find. I don't really think the popularity is waning. What I think was that it got an artificial bump in the last 10 years because of fantasy football. Fantasy football can be fun. I think once you've done it for a few years and maybe you haven't won, you're going to get tired of it like anything else and move on and not do it. So I think the NFL got that artificial bump from people doing it for the first time when those people really weren't necessarily football fans. And then I think what you're seeing in the last two years is that a lot of that artificial bump is going to start going away. So it's it's actually settling back to the level it should have been, but it was sort of art- artificially high. Does that make sense? Yeah, it okay. really does. No, I, I hadn't thought about fantasy football. Do you play? I do. See, the funny thing is we started a league 
long before computers, when it was done to hand sheets. Our league started in 1990. What'd you call we, yourselves? Uh, we just I, we just used our names, but we we had a league. There was one book that my friend Clay got that said it was called Fantasy Football, oh. and it had started in baseball. Baseball, oh, and gotcha. then when it originally was called Rotisserie Baseball. Okay. I'm not sure why. Not, <laughs> it doesn't involve spinning chickens, but it was Rotisserie <laughs> Baseball. And then Fantasy Football was sort of the football version of that. It was a book, and the book had like three scoring methods, and we picked scoring method three. You know, and, and then we started a league with like eight teams and we started doing it and then football to me isn't as fun like I, I and this is you talk about dorky I do fantasy baseball leagues and they're every day and I'm in four of those and wow. to me that is what's really fun that's a lot it's, of work it's it a lot of work, work but to, for me that's all just fun see the NFL for me too because we cover the Saints the NFL is work for us and from a baseball standpoint the only baseball we cover really we cover a lot of college baseball but we have a bunch of local kids playing for major league teams. We'll show highlights of those kids. You know, local kid does good. Everybody loves those. St- I love those stories. Um, but, from you know, we don't go cover a team regularly, so it feels more like fun to me. Whereas the NFL, because we cover the Saints on a daily basis and making phone calls, it feels a little bit more like work, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so to me, fantasy football in my personal time isn't nearly as fun now as baseball. Gotcha. And that's super dorky now. You've no. But you brought me down that road. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point of this show. You got to bring out the dork. Yeah. yeah. We've yeah. talked about Pokemon Go on yeah. our podcast, so you're not. Yeah. You see, I've your dork level is not. Okay, uh, good. See, no. I've missed that generation. Yeah. I'm too old for the Pokemon. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm okay with that. And you're okay with <laughs> yes. that. <laughs> yes. I totally missed that. I think it's still going on, actually. Yeah, yes. But. When we toured Nickel State with my son, there were people walking around Nichols looking for the poke, however that works. Right. Yeah, that was about a year ago. I haven't seen people doing that lately. Right. That seemed to last about three months hardcore <laughs> and then mercifully go away. Yeah, as, as most trends and even news, I feel like right now, there's right. like this cycle. Sure. And then yeah. it just kind of goes to the wayside. And I do think you're actually seeing that in fantasy football. I'd be curious because they wouldn't give out numbers, but I'd be curious like on those free sites like Yahoo does a lot of fantasy football. Like I'd be curious what their numbers are. Like have they seen the peak and and are they on the downside of just number of league teams? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be curious to know that. I've never seen those numbers released. But I'd be curious to see if that has peaked and is on the way down. But I think that, look, and the NFL, the one problem they do have, and I think it is a TV ratings thing, is there, when you challenge calls, they are unbelievably slow getting reviews. Mm -hmm. And they take a ton of commercial breaks. NFL games are not the fastest moving things on TV. They can be three hours long. Yeah, three hours long is the average. And too much of that is not actually football. Like, way too much of it. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have to figure out how to make their game. And Look, baseball is going through the same thing right now. They're trying to tighten up their game just to make it two hours and 45 minutes. It's the same exact thing is better than at 3.05. It just is. You feel that 20 minutes different. Mm-hmm. And the NFL is trying to fix that. And I think that's part of their problem, too. They need to speed up the game a little bit. Hmm. Do you think some of the lower ratings could come from some of the PR issues that the league has had, whether it's domestic abuse or um, the concussion studies that have been recently or even some of the stuff with Colin Kaepernick and his stand against the, the national anthem? Do you think any of that could be? I don't think any of that helps, him? obviously. Um, I, I don't think that. That I I do 
sincerely believe the fantasy football aspect is the one most underrated part of it because I think people jumped on board, watched games, and now they're like, yeah, I'm not so crazy. You know, they did it for a couple of years, now they're back out. But I, none of that helps. I mm-hmm. mean, the NFL is in a weird pos- position, although when you say the numbers are down, it is still by far right. the dominant sport in America, right. the NFL, or the dominant league in the dominant sport. I mean, by far. Now, they need to, you know, anytime you sort of plateau and start going the other way. And the concussions, I think, if that becomes an issue, that would be an issue in – 10 years or 20 years, I'll tell you why. Like, I grew up playing football, okay. like, as a kid. And you just have a different appreciation when you, that's all you knew as a kid, right? I mean, we, Nord Leagues, when I was a kid, were huge playing football. And now there's a lot more parents who won't let their kids play football for the concussion reasons. Now, those kids who never actually play football, will they get into it in the same way that people my age and all of my generation did? I don't know. I don't know. Because, look, there's a ton of kids playing lacrosse, and there's still no evidence that lacrosse, it, people are watching it on TV. Yeah. You know, it's just there are participatory sports and then viewership sports. I guess, like, the same thing with soccer, too, because soccer is very popular right now for the younger kids. Soccer's doing a lot better in numbers, but it's still correct. It's still minuscule numbers compared to right. the NFL. When I say numbers, I mean TV viewers. Right. Um, Compared to the NFL, soccer is gaining. Um, but but I'm curious whether kids who have never played football will actually watch and care about football um, at the same rate that we did, that my generation or the generation after me did. I'm curious. How, but the, so the concussion thing, I think, could have a long term effect on football interest. I was at the Louisiana Broadcasters Association annual awards lunch mm-hmm. back in March. Mm-hmm. The AP Awards? No, no, no. The Louisiana Association of Broadcasters in Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. And Tim Brando was the guest MC, and he brought up – he, like, took a moment to address the audience off script because he really wanted to tell us and urge us – to bring back the recognition for outstanding play-by-play <laughs> announcers. And I just thought that was so interesting that he really wanted to take a moment to say, we need to bring this back into focus. And I was like, did it ever go away? Yeah. Uh, uh, play-by-play guys. Um, There's something special, for There sure. is something unbelievably special. When I said when I was a kid, I knew every broadcast team at the networks that were doing NFL. Those are the guys... Pat Summerall was my guy. He was the original guy that worked with John Madden. Um, there, there were guys. Dick Enberg to me is one of the, you know, great broadcasters in American history. No, <laughs> now, look, Tim Brando is a play-by-play guy. That's what he does. So certainly he's going to say that. Honestly, there are probably ten working play-by-play people in the state of Louisiana. There's not. It's there's not a lot of jobs for it. I mean, there's only so many games in the state being broadcast. Um, but look, Tim Brando does a great job at it. He's one of the best. Is that something that you train for in school? Is that one of your sports broadcasting classes? No, I've done some games and look, doing live ball games, there's nothing like it. No, no, actually I went to UNO and, and our, you know, our broadcast uh, curriculum was pretty limited in all honesty. I mean, I got more of a general education. I sort of learned TV when I interned at Channel 6. There is no, I don't know if anyone teaches a class in play-by-play. I don't even know if there is such a thing anywhere. I mean, maybe there's a couple of broadcast schools at Missouri and Maryland, I mean, and Syracuse, 
Um, there's a few. University of Ohio, maybe. That's a good question. Maybe I don't what? even know if that class exists because generally people doing it or, you know, people like me who just watched a billion ball games sure. and sort of imitate what they've heard and mm-hmm. try to throw their own two cents in as best they can. Um, it, it, doing a live ball game, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like showing up, having no idea what's going to happen, no idea what you're going to say, and just letting it happen. Right. Yeah. I have to admit, Jim Henderson asked to be my friend on Facebook a few weeks ago, and I was really humbled. I was a little bit starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> and look, Jim has always done. I mean, you don't need to tell that to people in right. New Orleans. Jim yeah. has always done a spectacular yeah. job with Saints mm-hmm. games. Oh, my God. I love listening to him on the radio. Yeah, he is yeah. so much fun to listen to. I love listening to him pregame, too. He's always got fun things to say that are interesting, and he dives into numbers in, in really cool ways. Um, yeah, but he's as good as it gets. He's one of the 10 that that are actually doing it. And you worked with him for a while. Yes. Yeah, I, I was here with Jim. Uh, and Jim was one of the guys that – look, here, here's the thing that is the most special thing about Jim. Jim in the 80s, right, especially the 80s, or, or maybe 80s into the 90s, right, when ESPN was starting to take over. There were these ESPN guys who were – and this is when it was really catching on, and Chris Berman was at the top of his game, and it was sticky and corny and the other side of the pillow, and Chris Berman going, bark, 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 people making funny noises and funny sounds, and every sports guy in America, like all the young guys, come, are trying to imitate them and do this. And Jim is so the polar opposite of all these guys. But what Jim was able to do, and I think it's why he's the testament to how to not just do sports, but do broadcasting, period, is that Jim had a Jim was Jim on TV, right? Like he was sort of bookwormy mm-hmm. and made references that a lot of people didn't get. You know, he's an English major mm-hmm. doing sports. And that's who he was. And the only way he could be genuine and real was if he tried going brek, 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 and doing Chris Berman sounds, it was going to be silly. So Jim went against 100% against the grain of what was the broadcasting, you know, norm coming up and was just himself and became one of the most popular local sports guys in America. Not necessarily for what he did, although, yes, partially for what he did, but partially because he just did it honestly and he was just him. And and to me, the, the greatest lesson of Jim and like – I remember somebody told me not long ago, he said, I I like watching you. You're nothing like Jim Henderson was. And I said, well, that's good. I try to be exactly like Jim in the sense that I try to be me, but I'm not, I don't have Jim's vocabulary. If I tried to pretend like that, it would be phony. And the one thing you can't be is phony. And look, I think that's Eric Paulson's great thing is Eric will get on there and he'll (laughs) cut people off and be a jerk and you'll (laughs) yell at Eric's hilarious to watch on TV. But but he's himself. There's something genuine about that. And I think that's what people actually latch on to is. And it's the only advice that I give people in broadcasting was at some point you got to figure out who you are and just be that person. And and that's the one lesson I've tried to take from Jim. Not to be anything like Jim, because I don't I'm not like Jim, but to try to be exactly like him in the sense that Jim had tuned into who he was perfectly. And you I mean, it's one of the great careers in local news. And it's because he knew who he was and tapped into that. 
Do you have any funny stories about Jim Henderson? No, not I never <laughs> I never worked with Jim on a daily basis. By the time I came to Channel 4, it was 06 and Jim was still doing it, but you could tell Jim was already looking at the next avenue. And it was, you know, 12 when he left. I mean, this was after Katrina. I think everybody were everybody was reevaluating stuff. So, no, look, I still go to Jim a lot, like in training camp. The Saints had a quarterback, Garrett Grayson, who was a draft pick, who was just horrific, not good in training camp. So I will go find Jim and say, Jim, when's the last time you saw a quarterback this bad in training camp? And he was like – 11 years ago, oh, Tyler Palco was here. Yeah. And he will, yeah, he'll have an exact answer. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, I, I still go to him. I'm, you know, big fan of his. Um, but no, I don't have any embarrassing stories about Jim because I was never actually there with Jim. Gotcha. Okay. One of the things I remember about Jim, because I was here many moons ago when he was here, what he would wear like the jacket and the tie and the shirt, but then he'd have on like golf shorts yeah. and like his tennis shoes. And, it, and every day he would walk through the newsroom with his tie and like his papers in his hand. And so if you're sitting on the desk, all you see is like somebody who's like completely dressed up. And then he walks past and it's just like, you know, thighs and cap. You can't get away with that anymore. <laughs> this age of TV, we have too many standing yeah, shots. We oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we in South Dakota, we almost, we rarely had pants on. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. The Jimmy whole summer months, you'd be in shorts. Oh, wow. yeah. No question. Nope. Yeah, but that was that. That was more of a, uh, you know, that's how sets were. You know, right. you were always yeah. at the desk. We yeah. never stood up and walked around or did anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we are now rooted to yeah. showing our lower half of our bodies as well. So unfortunately, because I'd love to be able to wear shorts every day. <laughs> That'd be super cool. Well, and it's really opened y'all up to a lot more criticism, I feel like, especially with women, I guess, more so. You know that. And that's a whole other conversation for another day. And look, and I feel for, and what Mandy is touching on is that women in TV get too much, and especially with social media. It's unfair, and it's wrong, and it's horrific. Um, Too much criticism. People think they're offering something constructive, and it's just social media can be so mean, so horribly mean. And people don't, I guess people don't realize how mean they are. Maybe they do, and they're just okay with that because they feel somehow. Anyway, I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a guy (laughs) tell me, I had an agent tell me when I wasn't in TV long, he said, he said, you'll never get a job because of the way you look. That's what he told me. He said that? Yeah, no, no. And then he said, but you'll probably never lose a job because of the way you look. Huh. So I okay. said, all right, I can live. I, look, I'm totally okay being average. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm super cool with C plus, with average. So <laughs> if I guess if I was uh, like a super pretty guy, I would get more criticism or people talking about mm-hmm. it. I'm just like the average guy that like <laughs> you just wouldn't think to tell me something about the way I look. You know what I mean? Like I'm just – that's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas unfortunately – if they're, when they're females, people feel like they need to throw their two cents in when 99 times out of 100, they shouldn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. So you're the president of the press club? Yes. Of New Orleans. That's super exciting. Yes. What yeah. Is, it's what, just something I believe in. What is it like working with so many different journalists or communication professionals um, yeah. in so many different fields? Well, look, here, it, for me, and I, you know, I used to make fun of the term journalism, right? I, and I used to... You know, when I filled out my income tax for my first 15 years in TV and it said occupation, I'd write TV guy. Right. You know what I mean? Like I would I would sort of look down on the profession. And then Katrina came. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were on TV telling people where to 
pick up meals and where to get ice. Mm-hmm. And I sort of reevaluated what we do for a living and and its meaning. And right around that time is when New Orleans as a TV market sort of took a greater interest in investigative journalism and um Things have really taken off. And, and and I think Katrina sort of made me have more respect for what I do. I used to make fun of what I do, and I do that a lot less now. I, I hope that makes sense. It does to me. No, yeah, definitely. And, and so, so after Katrina, I got more involved in the Press Club. Press Club is an organization that's been around for 59 years. This is from the early days of journalism in New Orleans. And, yeah, it's people from newspaper, radio, um, all TV stations. We get together for a few events during the course of the year. I have more in common with Fletcher Mackle at Channel 6 than I do with almost anyone in New Orleans. So he and I can have conversations and talk about things that I, I, you know, I can't have those conversations with a lot of people. They just won't get it. And so it's a small community for what we do. And there's, there's no reason that I can't have respect and even admiration or like things I see in other stations. I, I can't tell you how many times I've called people or people have called me. I did a story that I love this year on a boxer named Pete Herman, yes. which, which was just a, a history of New Orleans, and I loved it. I got three different calls from three people at the other three stations in town just saying, I love that story. Wow. And like story. that's to me, that's what the press club is about, like yeah. recognizing, you know, positive things in the journalism community. I love working with the people in the other area. The one big event we do, of course, is to give awards to each other. We do the Press Club Awards every year. We give Lifetime Achievement Awards. Um, I brought up Bill Capo last year. We voted him in unanimously. Sally Ann Roberts has been a Lifetime Achievement Award winner a couple of years ago. Um, It's just one of the things that I believe in. It's an all-volunteer organization. None of us get paid. And the money we make, which is by the time we pay for stuff, we make a few thousand dollars a year that goes to fund a couple of journalism scholarships that we give out. So, you know, nobody's getting paid. It's, it's a nice community thing. I, I enjoy being involved in that. And to me, it's just fun. And I like a lot of my favorite people or people who work at other stations or in, you know, Walt Handelsman was on the morning show. Yep. He's an advocate guy. Um, I, I love Walt and there's a lot of people in this market that I have great respect for and the press club, is the way that we all kind of get together. I dig it, I, and I have for a long time. Yeah, it seems really cool to have a space where professionals can support one another. And Because you think, right, they talk about TV and how competitive it is, and being the first one to, to get a, score, a story or to sure. scoop a story or to be the first one on the scene. But then, you know, once you take that 9 to 5 hat off or whatever your hours are, because we work our kind of crazy hours, and can have a drink with someone and just kind of, you know, talk shop. Yeah, and, and look, just... If, if you and I are competing for the same story and I, you know, I, I want to win my share for sure. And there's nobody more competitive than me, but there's no reason that I have to disrespect you to do that job. I mean, look, this is not boxing. I don't physically have to punch you for, to win. So, so I can have great respect for you while competing mm-hmm. against you. And that's how I try to do it. And, and, you know, like I said, a lot of my best friends or people who I've never worked with but worked at, I still talk to people who worked at a competing station in South Dakota. South Dakota was like that. There were two TV stations doing news, and you could bet every day of the week there was one bar that at 11 o'clock there was going to be a table every night where there were going to be people from both stations sitting. And, you know, it's been that way for my entire 30 years of doing TV. 
Well, and the PR people, too. I always enjoy getting into conversations with the people who are at the communications firms because they offer this whole other outside perspective of what it's like trying to deal with us. <laughs> yeah, the press club is the press club's PR and it's uh, uh, it's I mean, it's a journalism organization. We have a rule where a PR person can't be the president. But <laughs> I know. I know. It doesn't seem right, but it has to be a journalist. <laughs> Only a journalist can be the president. So so it's me right now. And uh, uh, but yeah, it, it's a great organization. There's people from education, you know, from people from Loyola have been involved in the press club oh, for yeah. decades. Dr. Larry Lorenz, who just passed away, was a former press club president. And uh uh, one of the great members of the press club. So yeah, we've um, it's it's a great organization inside of journalism. Do you have any big goals or hopes for your first year as president? No, well, you know, last year, I, I mean, our biggest thing, we just want to engage as much as possible. So the group of journalists is also like, how do I say it? Like they're all they're all people who are like above everything. You know what I mean? There's a certain amount of like nose going up in the air kind of ness out of this group. So like we've tried to do we've tried to do mixers at bars, and then you know you show up and it's like the eight people who are on the press club board. <laughs> like all right, how do we figure this thing out? Yeah. And so yeah, we we've been trying. Um, to, to get some things together, it's not as easy as it sounds. I hate to say it, the one big thing we do is the Press Club Awards. Yeah. The, and and it, last year we had over 600 entries, which was the most in the history wow. of the Press Club because I think people are taking pride in what they do in a different way. And so, so, so much of what we do goes into that one night because right. we're all volunteers and it's, you know, it's 20-something thousand dollars for that one night. Now we raise a little more than that. But, you know, finding the venue and a host and the Lifetime Achievement Awards and all that goes into the entries and putting together, honestly, that's probably half of what we do or more than half. It's just that one thing. We do a Silver Scribe. We do, you know, journalism competition for aspiring journalists in high school. We do a lot of that. But the one big event is the Press Club Awards. And actually, Press Club Awards, we had a, a host who bowed out kind of late and we got Zach Streif from the Saints. It was oh, actually was great. it was actually Fletcher Mackle's suggestion because I, I and I called people I'm texting people at different stations, you have any ideas? And Fletcher said, "What about Zach Streif?" And I we thought about it and then we asked and we asked Zach and we figured let's just roll the dice and see what happens. And I don't know if anybody like sports fans in New Orleans know this about this guy. First of all, he is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life and a brilliant guy, uh, very self-deprecating in the right way. Yes. Just a super cool guy. And we showed up the day before the awards. We said, let's go to lunch. We'll show you the book. I mean, 90% of what he does is just follow our script. But at the beginning, he does have like a 10 or 15-minute sort of monologue, right? Yeah. And – so we were sitting down with him to tell him we were going to buy him lunch and tell him, you know, what he needed to do. And he shows up with a typed uh, speech ready right. for his monologue wow. part. And he said, would you mind reading over this for me? Tell That's me if awesome. this is kind of the direction you want me to go. Wow. And as soon as he handed it to me, I looked at him and I said, we're going to be just fine. Oh, and yeah. Just because that level of preparation and it's how a guy with who doesn't have extreme talent stays in the NFL for a decade. It's because that's who he is and I I was un, he was so funny, was funny. hilarious and amazing like going on oh, my he, God. yes yeah. every time yes he uh, you know he was off the cuff but he also had like hit the perfect tone at the beginning it was amazing I, after the thing the convention of bureau convention and visitors bureau 
called me and because they have a they had a table there. They called me and said, "Can we get Zach Street's phone number? We want to ask him to speak on behalf of the city." Oh, I mean, wow. yeah, no, he's got a career doing it if he wants to. Yeah, and so right now we're in, <laughs> we're in the we're in the trying to find the right host, and the right host means somebody who will. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so like we're we're kicking a bunch of tires. Like we asked Wendell Pierce if he would do oh, it. Oh, that's love cool. Wendell Pierce, active in New Orleans. Yeah. He's going to be in France shooting a movie. Ah. So you get a lot of that. Oh, I'd love to do it whenever I can, right. but I can't do it this year. So anyway, yeah. so so we're still working on that. That's all I got. I think that was pretty good. Yeah. Were we okay? You got a great Doug Mouton. Oh, Jesus. We covered a lot of bases. We did. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. (laughs) Just trying to throw in sports references whenever I can. (laughs) Covered the bases. And look, look, I'll say this too. Shoot my shot. That's one of the things at the (laughs) Mouton house, like when I work on Sundays, like, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say this. Like, they don't even watch the Saints games at my house. My really? wife has no – now, look, she got into it in 09 when the Saints made yeah. a run, but she's just not a football person. My daughter certainly is not a football person, so it's not even on at my house if I'm not there. So, like, you <laughs> trying to throw in sports <laughs> references. I'm used to Knock having non-sports conversations when I leave work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to call my friends to talk sports because I can't talk sports at home. Right. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I think you scored a home run. Oh. Knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Did I bowl a strike? Ooh, that's a good one. You scored a turkey. Big. Isn't that a thing? There's a turkey. There's a turkey. Well, thank you so much for coming, Doug. Thanks again. All right. Fourth Degree is produced by Joshua Detige, Kagan Moore, and Mandy Thomas. Visuals are provided by Joshua Detige. Fourth Degree is engineered by Ed Merritt and is recorded at the WWL-TV studios in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can hear all episodes of The Fourth Degree on our website, wwltv.com backslash fourth degree. That's the number four, T-H-D-E-G-R-E-E. You can also download the free WWL-TV news app, or you can subscribe to The Fourth Degree on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. This is The Fourth Degree.